Welcome to Lifestyle Club, the podcast. For those of you who may be new to listening, we are Maggie Devine Inman and Helen Drury. We're both wives of former professional footballers, and together we have created an online community for wives and partners of current and former footballers. The reason we created our very own podcast was to give a voice to this community of mostly women. So often we hear the football story from a player's perspective, but on our podcast, we hear from the partner, a player's closest support system. Our lovely guests give us a peek behind the curtain, sharing their stories and giving an insight into their life in football, tackling a range of subjects from mental health, supporting their partner, and to breaking down stereotypes. Today's podcast, however, is a little different, although just as exciting for us, as we were given the opportunity to speak to the Professional Footballers Association's new chief executive, Maheta Malongo. Maheta took over from Gordon Taylor, who had previously held the role as head of the Players' Union for over 40 years. So Maheta, the man who is now leading the PFA into a new era, was definitely someone we were looking forward to speaking to. And we have to say, as you'll hear on this episode, he seems like the perfect man for the job. Having been a professional footballer, he has that personal insight into the challenges footballers can face during and after their careers and at all levels of the game. He's worked in football as the CEO of a Spanish football club, and he qualified as a lawyer after retiring from playing, which that in itself has given him a unique perspective of elite level football. We are also very excited to announce that we are officially partnering with the PFA on key initiatives around mental health, well-being, education, and life after football. We are thrilled to be working alongside the PFA on making sure wives and partners are getting the support and resources available to their partners. In today's episode, we discuss the important role wives and partners play in football. So often it is a role that is unrecognized and undervalued. And all we have to say is that we loved speaking to Maheta and we really hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much, Maheta, for joining us today um, on our podcast. We are so excited to speak to you. And how are you settling into your new role as the PFA Chief Executive? Very good, very good. Thank you for, for having me on, on the program. It's, it's been a very intense intense start, you know, and, and talking about partners and, and, and wife, I think um, it was very important for me, for my family to be settled, you know, and, and um, you know, it's tough to, to start a new job, um, start a new project, new adventure, and you've got, you know, your family in the hotel for a month and a half, and, you know, you need to try to talk, come to terms with having your family settled at the same time, trying to to kind of move forward what we're trying to achieve and it's been it's been intense it's been good um you know i just feel that the pfa is a wonderful organization you know i i, I was a member myself of the pfa I, I benefited from the pfa um I, I was keen to see whether what i saw from the outside of the building would be the same as what you see when you're inside because i've learned over time that one thing is what people perceive from the outside and we seem all to know what what, what is best for a company when you look at it from from the outside we're all very expert and you know and knowledgeable but all of a sudden, when you're inside, you understand, you know, that it's not so easy. You understand the, some of the of the the very practical hurdles that you, that you face. And and I, what I can say to you is, after you know nearly three months now, uh, I would say that you know I'm I'm reassured um, and um, and confident that we are a great organization. And I think we we need to identify the many things which are working, and then be very self-critical about assessing what is not working and how we can do a better job. No and. And I think when, when people see that you do things, you know, you know, in good faith, I think people are supportive. And so far, the, um, you know, the, the, I've been very welcomed everywhere I went. So, so I can only talk positively about the experience so far. 
Oh, that's that's amazing. And I think it's just nice that you have seen, obviously you've seen the the legacy that Gordon Taylor has left, but then you almost want to restart something yourself then, isn't it? You, you can, it's, it's a, you know, wipe the slate clean and you can get to come in and, and, and see it from, like you said, you've had that great perspective of being a player yourself and, and having friends in football to then coming in and sort of see what, um, you know, is behind the scenes. So what made you want the job? Is it something that had been on your mind or is it something that just came out of nowhere? What made you want the job? Well, it's one of those where you just think that sometimes opportunities cross your path, which you just think is just the perfect fit, if you wish. Um, to be honest with you, I, I was on the way to, to a club. I had like, um, you know, I had <laughs> not for letter signed with a club, you know, and and all of a sudden, you know, I, I got headhunted to, to part, take, take part in this in this process to become the chief executive of the PFA. I was very impressed by the fact that they took it so seriously. So this was like a like a proper, you know, four or five interviews, you know, 90 plus candidates. So so it, it was not about, you know, oh, you know about football, you, you've got a few friends come along and, and, and run the thing. No, it was really a proper process. I was very impressed by the new structure of the PFA. We know now we have a, a players board which represents all the players at all levels, including WSL, which I found fantastic. And on the other hand, we have a new operational board and we have very, very top people on that board. You know, someone from TikTok, someone from a very senior position, someone from Amazon Web Services, former Secretary General of the Turkish um, you know, um, uh, Federation, the, the Vice Chair of the Commonwealth Games. So in a way, I, f I found you know, this was not any organization. It's the oldest union in the world. Uh, second, I was super excited to see the fact that they took it so seriously and to be a proper kind of hiring process through a, an external company and done in the proper way. Third, it was fantastic to, to be able to you know, work alongside players who get it, who have a, you know, who have a real need and wish to, 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 to be part of the process and kind of have a strong voice. At the same time, complemented by people who have a strong corporate background to really make something really, really nice. And, um, and my old track record says that in the end, I was a player. Um, you know, sometimes I say to people that the fact of having been a mediocre player <laughs> plays to my advantage right now because I've been around, you know. I was in the championship, I was in League One, I was in League Two, I was even in the conference. I've played in different divisions abroad. And in the end, you, you've been around, you've had more bad, bad days than good days. So you understand what it means to be sub, to be on the bench, to be out of the squad. To you know, to go to Atletico Madrid with 18, thinking you're gonna be the next Fernando Torres, and before you know it, you know you need to move on and go to Germany second division. You know, try to to make a, to make something of, with your career. So, so I think this was good for me. But then this was complemented by me becoming a lawyer. You know, I worked for 10 years with a, with a very good law firm, um, U.S. law firm in Madrid. Um, then became the, the legal counsel of Atletico Madrid, which gave me. So as a player, I knew you know probably the lower the lower division, more modest division than as, as a non-player. That's where I learned about you know, the, the big players, the, the big agents, the big club, what it means, because it's, sometimes it's, it's almost a different sport, right? I mean, the demands of one and the other is just different, no? Mm. Um, and then I moved on to, to become the chief exec of a club in Mallorca, which wasn't bad either, you know? <laughs> uh, so, so you discovered the other side. And to be honest, the, the main reason was because I just, I just saw so many things which were just wrong. So I saw stuff in my office which was just wrong, you know. So, so the way that certain clubs kind of have treated fellow teammates or even myself was just wrong. Um, when I was at Atletico Madrid, I was thinking, wow, I mean, those are people making millions 
and they don't even read their contracts. You know, they, they are with agents who don't even kind of do the job they sh- they're supposed to do. Who make more money than them? Mm. I mean, come on, <laughs> you just cannot make making more money than than your than your player. You know, and and then you you move into an executive role and. And, and you feel sorry because some of the players come to you as chief executive and say, help me. And I'm like, uh, you know, I, I'm the club. I cannot help you. And I think, I think as a union, we have the opportunity to just be that independent sounding board. We're not here for the money. You know, you know, my, my salary does not depend on the commission. I'm here to try to help you. Then if you want to listen to me, great. And if you don't want to come, no problem. Um, so, yeah. So, so long story short that this is why I felt it was a great opportunity to, to come back to the UK and, um, yeah, and, and enjoy what, what I understand is a fantastic country and a fantastic league. And and the family have come with you. Um, you said earlier the family have come with you. Is that how's that gone? Yeah, I mean to be honest, you know, I'm I'm lucky enough to have um, an amazing partner. You know, she she's been great. I mean, I've known her ever since I moved to Madrid, and so we studied together. Oh. You know, and uh, and then and then we became married, and then we got kids, and and. Um, and it's incredible because she was the one pushing me to to go for this role, mm. um, because yeah, yeah, because because we saw it also as a, as a, as a family project, you know, um, for for my kids to be able to come to England, learn proper English, learn a new culture. I mean, London is such a wonderful place in terms of opening your eyes to the world and becoming much more flexible in the way that you approach things. So so she was great, and and from day one, you know. You know, during COVID, you're thinking maybe they can live in Mallorca and then commute. And then I go back and forth. But I said, no, I mean, you know, we come here, we want to be together. We want to kind of enjoy or suffer together. And, um, you know, as, as, as we were saying before off the record, I think I think in the end, the family is is, is your anchor. You know, is, is, your, is that anchor which hopefully does not move because all the rest moves. You know, the yeah. club, you change club, you change agent, you change friends, unfortunately, because... As we all discover, you know, you don't have the same friend when you win than when you have when you lose. <laughs> and, um, and and I was lucky enough to to always have that anchor. Who, you know, my wife in the end is is the is a person who who tells me I'm not as good as, as as people tell me when things go go well, and just also tell me I'm not that you know bad or crap when people tell <laughs> me I'm crap. You know, uh, yeah. and and you need that. I think you really need that. And and a lot of time you see people struggling in their career because they don't have that anchor. Mm-hmm. You know, and you need some you need an anchor. Uh, and, it, and it is your family, it is your partner, it is your kids, you know? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Um, so Gordon Taylor, who was in your position before for over 40 years in the media, he was the person that they all went to for good and bad. And it's quite a powerful role, your role. Um, do you feel that the job comes with a lot of responsibility and pressure from the media? Yeah, but, but you know, in the end, it, it's... It's part of the job, you know, and, and when you take on certain position, you need to accept that you're going to be exposed. You need to be accept that people will hear from you. Um, I think you need to pick when you need to talk and, and when not. I'm not the type of guy who needs to be constantly in the press, kind of making a point. I don't think I, I think nowadays there's too much noise. And, and I think sometimes it's good just to, to when you say something, say something meaningful that people remember instead of being all the time there talking for the sake of talking. I think there are enough people doing that already. Um, <laughs> So, 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 yeah, you know, I, I'm conscious of the, of the responsibility. I'm conscious that, you know, I, I am an ambassador of people who sound and look like me, you know, and this is very important. You know, I think you need to, to be careful, you know, when, when, when you're an, 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 a British person, you go to Spain, you're an ambassador of, of, of Great Britain. You know, that, that's the way I see it, you know, and, and when I go somewhere and I, I come from Congo and Italy, then I'm an ambassador of those guys because 
if I open, if they open the door to me, then if I don't behave the right way, then I'm going to close the door for other people, you know, who could have had an opportunity. And, and I hope that I can actually open the door for, for, for people to, to show that in this country is about meritocracy. And it's a, it's a wonderful story, you know, because in the end, I'm not friend with anyone, you know, well connected. My parents are not so any fancy type of, you know, I just work hard, you know, so I think it's, it's a good message that this happened in this country and this happened at this union. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, and I'm very conscious of that. That's why I feel the responsibility, not just about the role, but also about the fact of saying, well, people who, who you know, who could, who could follow me thereafter need to have the door open, not closed. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. As, as a player yourself, you played for clubs such as, was it Brighton and Lincoln yeah. on Athletic? That, like you said, you went down the, you know, you played for all different type of leagues. Um, did you know much about the PFA as a player? Well, incredibly, you know, the PFA, when you compare this union with other union, the PFA is a very, you know, it's a, it's a very strong organization. You know, it does a lot for the players. You know, um, when you go, for example, to Spain, you know, the union is nowhere near what you have here. You know, mm -hmm. we need to, the problem, you know, sometimes people just take things for granted and the PFA has achieved a standard contract, meaning when someone comes to this country, all he needs to do is agree on the, on the money. That's it. All the rest is covered. When you come to this country without you contributing, the PFA contributes to pension scheme. This is just money falling from the sky, which, <laughs> which you have not contributed to yourself. It's unbelievable. The PFA gives you the chance if you want to study, to fund your studies. So I, I did like um, a Mandarin course when I was in Brighton. Yeah, and the PFA funded it, you know, and, and, I, and I did like, um, you know, I did like um, an English course to, to get like the, um, you know, the, the Cambridge exams, etc. And it was funded by the PFA, you know, mm. um, and the PFA is, is a unique organization because typically union only cover active professionals. Right. You know, it's totally uncommon to, to cover 50,000 people who no longer actively work in that industry. You know, yeah. this, is, this is something that people don't realize and, and don't give kind of importance to. And to me, we need to say this, this organization is just doing stuff which is unbelievable, you know. Mm -hmm. And again, of course, we have flaws and of course, we can improve. And my job is to identify that. But I'm not the type of person that I'm sure you've noticed. I, I don't have any need to throw anyone under any bus or to, to bash anything from the past just for the sake of it. I think the legacy is great. Let's build on what is working and correct whatever we need to, to correct, you know, being very honest and sincere about what we do, you know, what we could do better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 50,000 former players, obviously you said in the, in the Women's Super League, the English Football Leagues, that's a, a vast membership and the PFA have got to encapsulate all, all the different needs and, and, you know, what comes with that. So when you're a player, you know, what you go to the, the PFA for might be the same as if someone who's in their fifties that needs to go to the PFA for, you know, that you, you're looking after such a vast amount of, of members, yeah. aren't you? No, sorry. No, it, it, it's part of the challenge. It's part of the challenge. Um, because of course the, the needs are, they're all important to us, but they have different needs. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's important for us to, I think we need to grow. Um, I, I think the problem with the PFA at this point in time is, you know, you, you cover so much ground, that sometimes we just stretch in terms of resources, you know, um, because if we want to talk about, you know, education and you've got 50,000 people who potentially can use you, uh, but you only have four or five people, it's, it's too little, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and what do you want to run on the ground and you only have maybe one player liaison for every 20 club is just, and the, the people we have, I can promise you, 
are people who care. Generally, they care. They're good people. You know, they, you know, I've been at, at other projects where I got there and I, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, wow, I need to kind of change the whole thing because it's a disaster. This is not what I've encountered here. I've encountered mm-hmm. people who care, people who, who really have this passion to help players, but, but sometimes they're stretched. Mm-hmm. They really are. So I think we need to, we need to grow in terms of, 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 you know, of manpower to be able to, to provide a better service. And I think we need to identify, we need to acknowledge that it's such a broad number of people that maybe we need to identify other partners such as you guys who can help us plugging the gaps where we just cannot plug those gaps because we just cannot. We'd love to, but we cannot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, think that, I think that covers the, the question yeah. we were going to ask about cha- what changes <laughs> you've made and what you would like to make in the future. You know, it mm-hmm. seems like you, you've got your ideas of what you want to do and, and it's fantastic that you come in with such energy. How um, have the um, players been? Like, we know you've been busy meeting all the clubs, going up and down the country. And how have they been, like, which is great because you're meeting the actual people you represent, all the players. And how have they been about you leading this new era of the PFA that's like, you know, for many, many say it's long overdue, you know. So how have they reacted to you? It's been great. It's been, it's been great. You know, I, I made a point of, People ask me, you know, what is your politi- what is your manifesto? And I'm, and I'm like, sorry, guys, but I'm not a politician. You know, I wasn't elected because I had a manifesto. Because honestly, it's not about me. It's about what do the player want? Yeah. And how can I use my experience of being myself a player, a legal counsel, a chief exec, to turn those ideas into something tangible? And, and, and to tell them this is feasible or this is not feasible, you know, because I think and like other people, such as, for example, sometimes agents who will just tell bear whatever they want to hear, I'm not here to do that. I'm here to tell you, yes, this is feasible, or yes, this is not feasible. And then if you're unhappy, that's, that's fine. But, but I, I'm not here to tell you something just to please you. I'm here to try to, to, to really tell you the truth. You know? And that's, I think that's what we have in common with, hopefully, the, the, the partners. You know? Just tell people the truth you know? and, and encourage them to speak up, encourage them to have a voice, encourage them to understand that there are stuff that you cannot solve on your own. So, so I think the, my biggest concern is to make them understand that there are stuff that you will not be able to solve through Instagram or through your agent or through whatever. We need to solve this collectively. You know, mm-hmm. online abuse, racism, EDI, the growth of women football, you know, all, so uh, dementia, you know, mm-hmm. so, so a mental well-being. So, yeah. so there are a lot of things that you cannot just solve on your own. We need to do that collectively. And the beauty of what I saw is that you know, so I, I went and met every single club in the Premier League. So I went to the dressing room, introduced myself, told them, you know, what we're all about, speaking different languages with the people. You know, sometimes the power of language, mm-hmm. Helen and Maggie is just is just amazing. You know, if if the three of us go to you know to Indonesia and we don't speak the local language and we speak English, even if we don't have anything in common, we end up being friends, just because of the power of the language as a glue. So you know, so so you go to you go to your to your menu and you've got the pork band, you speak to him in French, immediately you connect or to Marshall, or, or if you go to, to Chelsea, you spoke to speak to Aspliquet or Kepa in Spanish, automatically you create a different type of, of link. No, so I've been welcomed. Um, it's been good. I, I think we need to do a better job of telling people what we actually do. Yes. I, I was amazed to 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 kind of see that people in the Premier League, for example, were not quite sure exactly what we did, how they could tap into us. But I think the good news, I, I don't want to tell exact names, but we recently had a problem because there was um, a couple of players who were fined by their club for going on international duty. And I found amazing that those guys called me on, on a Saturday morning in Spanish saying, 
this is what's going on. Can you help? And I was like, well, that's, that's exactly what I'm here for. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I'm here for. You know, you don't you, need to be taking yeah. taking the heat on your own. I'm here to take the the heat because that's my duty to take to be the the bad cop and protect you, mm -hmm. if I can. You know, you don't need to go yourself and fight with your club. Let let us try to help you. You know, and and try to find a solution which is good for everyone. Mm. <coughs> that's amazing, though, because that that shows your background of learning different languages, your experience as a lawyer, your your experience in football. The players of such high caliber, like you said, you went to the foot. You know the 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 Premier League dressing room, that trust you're building already, the fact that players can ring you up and ask you for your advice, that's, that's priceless, isn't it? Mm. But, but also, Helen, because I, I, I spoke to them very straight, you know, and I said to them, what we all have in common here is that once this is finished, our phone goes silent. Mm. Yep. Guys, I'm, I, I'm going to lie to you, this is, the, this is the reality. And there was one instance where, where I went to, to Leicester you know, and, and it was great because we, you know, Brent, Brendan Rodgers is a great coach and he made us feel so welcome. And, and Colo Toure, the former centre-back at, at Arsenal, was there. And, the, and when I said that sentence, I said he, he said, he said, you know, yes, you're right. And it's Colo Toure. <laughs> so if Colo Toure says, yes, my phone went silent, well, you know, you, you got a Madison saying, wow, okay, well, you know, <laughs> if this guy said that, you know, um, I, I may kind of start thinking about what's next, no? because, because this is coming, you know. Um, so, so, and, and, you know, and I'm sure you've seen that yourself, yourself with your, your respective partners. You know, I think it's a generation of players who care, they're informed, yeah. you know, they want to have a voice. They want to be part of the conversation. It's very different from maybe from my own generation where, you know, we just got an instruction. It was an instruction. That's it. They said a, and it was a, there was no space for B, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, nowadays, now they said to you, why a and not B or not C, you know, I want to, you know, I'm not just happy to, to be told, you know? Um, yeah. so it's and, that, and that falls that falls down into the managers. I think the new era of, of managers out there, the young the younger managers coming through, they they're in tune with that, you know, the emotional side of football. They're they're in tune with listening to a player. They're not just leading; they're listening, and that is part of being a leader, isn't it? It's listening to what your players are saying. It's, it's understanding how they're feeling. Mm. And I think the younger generation of managers, obviously older, there is some other managers out there that are older that have this way of thinking but not I, I think from when our, our our husbands were playing it was a very different type of manager out there and because that's what all they knew that's the only way they knew to, to manage but I think um, a multi-millionaire or, mm. or a, a player that is in um, the second division ultimately they all sit on a bench they all get injured they all suffer um, can potentially suffer with pressure from fans and managers and clubs and and their own their own mind and irrespective of how much they make, they all have the same issues, don't they? They, you know, if you're suffering, you're suffering, no matter where you, where you come from. So I think you, you you're know. absolutely right. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, and we had an issue during this transfer window with the club, but I think it was a championship club um, where the manager was just one of this type of old school. And they're saying, "Well, it's old school." I said, "No, it's not old school. It's wrong. Mm. It, this yeah. is not old school. This is just wrong." Yeah. Oh yeah, but you know, but football is a tough industry. Yeah, I know it's tough. I know it's it's ruthless, you know, and, and you need to be resilient, but it doesn't mean that to become resilient and tough, you need to treat people in a way which in a normal, normal company would not be tolerated for one minute. Yeah. So some of those behaviors, some of the stuff that you hear in the dressing room, and probably still sometime now in football, is unacceptable. Yeah. Because if this happened in a, at, at Tesco, at Apple, or at Google, you get straight away a, a, a complaint coming through your door. Mm -hmm. you no. Know? 
absolutely. And, and there is this kind of untold kind of code of conduct in football where, you know, you need to be tough, you need to accept that the players calls you whatever and treat you this way. And the, the, the gaffer is almost this kind of god that, mm. you know, you cannot challenge by any means because otherwise your career is over. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and I had a very serious chat about the chairman of the championship club about that. I said, this is, I'm sorry, this is, this is gone. Those days are gone. Yeah. Those days are gone. You know, you just not, cannot treat people this way. You know, and I think also we need together to fight against this narrative about football players being those spoiled kids who just make money and, and, and that's it. To start with, how many people play football in this country? Millions. Yeah, exactly. Millions. So the 3,500 who are professional left millions of people behind them. Mm, yeah. So any of those 3,500 who are professional in this country deserve a huge amount of respect because they left so many people behind them to get there. And whereas, yes, in, like in any group, there's always the one, two who are kind of not behaving properly. But the vast majority of people who made it at that level, including your husband, made it because they're top professionals. Mm. Otherwise, you cannot be training at that level and compete at that level and see what, you, what you've achieved and left me, million behind you if you're not a top professional. I think I'm, I'm, I'm a bit tired of, of hearing people kind of just treating footballers if they were like those spoiled kids who, who make money. And no. This, this is just not, this is, this is a lie. And, and, and the money they earn is well-deserved because they put a lot of effort into what they do. They've got a very short career. They make to, need to make the most out of it. No yeah. weekends, no vacation, no kind of birthday with your friend. Nothing. It's just football, <laughs> yeah. which is good. And of course, it's, it's rewarding and we enjoy it and we're privileged people. But, but I think we need to tell also the, 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 you know, the other side of it. And I, I think that's where... What you do as an organization is fantastic because you help telling that story, the, the, un, the untold story about yeah, how tough yeah. it is to make it to that level, you know? Oh, one of the things we really try and encourage like wives and partners to help their partners with is recognize the skill set that they possess for after football. Because like you said, to be a top professional, to be a professional at all in this sport is so difficult. And the skill set that you acquire besides the physical, like the mental, um, is so translatable to many other careers and they can be really successful and most and many are but that story in the media and that story that sometimes is projected onto them that narrative needs to change that they're nothing else but a footballer and have no other skills and they're spoiled or this and they didn't deserve it they didn't work hard enough they're just talented type of thing it's not that at all so that's part of one of the things we're really trying to change is help footballers and their families take back that power and utilize those skills that they have and change the script themselves because so many times they believe it as well like well, what do I do next but there's so many things that you you can do after football that you're prepared for I, I absolutely agree you know and and I think that that's the beauty of football and that's why I'm so keen for example for my kids to just play I, I don't want them to become the next Neymar all I want them is to learn about competing about resilience about you know delivering under pressure you know, accepting unfair decisions. Sometimes it's the manager, sometimes it's the ref. It's just the way it is. Just get on with it. Focus on the stuff that you control. Yeah. yeah. Don't focus on the ref, on the bad luck. That's part of the game. So those are skills that you can transfer to any profession. And I think this ability, especially to deliver under pressure, to me, it's such a, such a valuable skill. Um, but again, sometimes you need someone at home who tells you that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and someone that you can trust, you know, because sometimes... Maggie and Helen, you know, sometimes you get to a point where so many people tell you so many stuff that you, you just need to hear it from someone that you trust. Yeah. Um, and that's, that, that's where I think, you know, the, the, the anchor that you've got at home is, is, is what really kind of helps you kind of 
understanding what, what you are and, and where you want to go to. Yeah, and football often dehumanizes the person, the player, doesn't it? Quite often you see them as a, you know, like fans or even clubs sometimes can see a player as a product and and, the, and even the families in it, you know, you just see them as it's their fair game so, sort of to, to have an opinion about. And it's quite often quite a negative one. Um, and it leaves very little room for any sort of empathy or understanding of where of how that person is feeling. And I think footballers in themselves, they're so used to being criticised, they're so used to being critiqued. How else would they have managed to get to the level they're at without being told, you know, how to be? But then there's that huge jump between if a, if a club is not speaking to a player right or not treating them well or the fans or the, the press and stuff. And, you know, that can take its toll, can't it, if you're... You know. I mean, you know, as I said to you before, there are certain stuff that you need to accept as part of your of your role. And um, I think the beauty of football is that in the end, you know, the fans make this this game what it is. Um, but I think you also need to understand that it's a very strange profession because there are very few professions where everyone has an opinion on what you do yeah. without having actual knowledge about about, yeah. about what they talk about. You know, <laughs> in, the, in in the sense that you know the basis for the comments are oh. I watch a lot of football games, and my response is, you know, you know, I, I go a lot to the doctor. Does this turn me into a GP? No, but in football, everyone has an opinion, which again, yeah. this also makes football what it is, and and you know, and drive the passion, drive the income, and it's it's part of the thing. But at the same time, sometimes it's very frustrating, frustrating to hear someone having an opinion about your job, and you're thinking. You know, yeah. on, on, on which basis, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, also, yeah, football football just brings everybody together, doesn't it? And so what happens with that is it, it brings a huge amount of passion from all different types of people and, and there's lots of opinions and, and actually football's just, as much as people like sometimes can be quite sort of like belittle the whole thing and make fun of it and stuff, actually it's, it's a huge thing in this country. It's the biggest thing in this country, really. It's what people like even during the pandemic, it was it's good that the football games got started back again even though there was no fans but it was something that people could like look forward to and the fans mm-hmm. could watch it on tv and and actually it, it does a huge amount for the morale of of this country doesn't it because there is so many people that love football um yeah. and a lot and, and with that comes opinion so yeah um just going back to the um when you obviously met the the players and stuff do you think would you say that the the pfa members the players do they understand the support that the pfa can provide do you feel like there there's misconceptions about the pfa what they can do i mean i know that when my husband played if if you'd have asked me then i know i'm, <coughs> the, player, I'm, I'm the partner but if you'd have asked me i'd have just said well they have a holiday, they do deals for holidays or they're the boot people or they, they, they put on one event a year for the PFA awards. I didn't really know what it was that you guys did. Do you feel with your, you know, you going around and speaking to the, the players, do you feel like they know what you guys do? I think we need to do a, a better job. I think we need to do a better job of making sure people understand what we do. Um, and, and what you're saying is, is true. I think most, most of the time the perception may, may be that one. Or maybe that maybe the PFA is there when things turn sour, mm-hmm. you know, because when people go into administration, they know the PFA is there and PFA fights. Or recently, when when they tried to implement the financial fair play with a salary cap, they called us. So, but but we don't want to be an insurance company. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to be much more than just an insurance company. We want to be proactive in supporting the players, preventive measures rather than reactive kind of um, consequences. So. So I think we need to do a better job. I think that's one of the areas where we need to do a better job. I think sometimes we're too shy about telling what we do well. 
you know, we're very happy to accept people kind of killing us, you know, in, sometimes in a very unfair way, but we don't tell what, what we do or, or not loud enough or not, not good enough. So I think we need to do a better job of, of telling people that, that, yes, we went to Swindon and we helped them getting paid. Yes, we went to Sheffield Wednesday. They were in trouble and managed them to get paid. Yes, we're involved now in the Derby County situation to try to help them. Yes, we did help Premiership players when they got fined to go with the national team. You know, yes, we played so many grants to people, you know, wanted to study and they wanted to go and we did it. Yes, we have an agreement with people like you guys, you know, to try to get spouses and, and, and wives and partners involved and get the support that they need. So I, I'm very keen to go from a PFA, which is very reactive, almost like an insurance company. And to be honest, when they step in, they do very well. But I, I hope that we can grow and become much more of a proactive organization, which does not wait to be hit before it, it does yeah. something, you know, but rather proactively try to solve the situation, acknowledging that in the end, um, Helen and Maggie, I mean, when you cover 55,000 people, you have people who are unhappy. Yeah. That's fine. That, that, that's fine. We just cannot aim at keeping everyone happy because it's impossible when you cover so many people now. I think we need to make sure that as many as people are, are, are satisfied about the services and the ones who are not, that they provide an answer as to what went wrong and why, mm -hmm. and that we try to correct. You know, I think that that's all we can do as an organization. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think with, with the wives and partners, we had a similar, like when we had our focus groups, that wives and partners really probably more so didn't know what the PFA did. And like Helen said, we didn't know ourselves so much, like boot deal, awards, that kind of thing. Maybe a little bit about the education. So part of what we're doing is kind of aligning with what you, you're talking about is the getting the information out there of what you do and the positive like cases that are happening because those are just as, I mean, it feels like in the past, it was a lot of the people who were unhappy were shouting loudest and the people who got their problems or were represented weren't really talking about it. And then those, then people don't know that that is an option as well. Like what you can do. They're just maybe hearing what you're not doing, not what you are doing. So part of our like plan and what we always do is try and just get awareness out there to the wives and partners about all of the opportunities and all of the resources <coughs> that the PFA offer. Cause there are so many, I mean, when we started working with the PFA, we we're like, oh gosh, there's really, there is so much yeah. that they offer. Yeah. And like you said, like no union really is looking after you when you're done playing. Like you're not really an active, you're still an active member, but you're not an active. It's like, it's really amazing. So there's a, there's so much there. So hopefully we can uh, get more people to be aware of that as well. But over the past few years, mental health has been at the forefront of football and has been proven to be a big part of the game. And we've seen since the pandemic that there's even been more because everybody has mental health, like a, awareness now, like because they've been in their house and everybody kind of understands it a bit more than maybe they did pre-pandemic because we've all dealt with it. With that being said, has COVID changed? Like we know what the PFA offers and we can talk more about that, but has budgeting been able to support the full range of what is available to the PFA members with like an increase in maybe members asking for it? Have the PFA been able to still offer the full range of support for mental health? Well, it, yeah, I think we were discussing that before, you know, again, off, off, yeah. offline. I think, I think what, what I feel is the PFA is, is stretched in terms mm -hmm. of resources, in terms of, of man, manpower, personnel. Um, 
you know, and this sometimes can lead to a situation where you try to do the right thing, but you don't just have enough people doing certain stuff, and then it leads to very easy criticism. No, mm-hmm. um, so so I think we we need to to identify mental well-being as being like a priority because it is. Um, but I think to me the starting point is very important, which is people say, oh, the PFA should pay for. And I'm saying, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the PFA is the advocate. The PFA is the person in between the clubs who have the responsibility to look after their player because they benefit from their performances and their services and they cannot escape from that responsibility. Mm. And then you've got the players working for them. And we are in the middle trying to say, player, if this is for your priority, it is my duty to go and push to the club to pay for it and to support it. A different story is whether then the mental well-being officer, for example, needs to be part of the club or needs to be independent. Yeah. Because I understand that maybe it's needed to, to be independent, that's fine. But in the first place, those players never played for the PFA. Yeah. The PFA is not the employer. The PFA is not the league. The PFA is not the FA. It doesn't write the rules. Mm-hmm. you know. And I think we need to do a better job of telling people, we are your lawyers. We're yeah. not the actual employer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, like, it's like if I turn to you because I got the sack of the company, you defend me in a case, we try to get the money from the employer and all of a sudden, you know, I, I sue uh, you, you. sue me for the compensation. No, no, sue me for malpractice, not for the compensation. Yeah. The compensation needs to be with the employer. So I think, going back to your point about me- mental well-being, I believe that we clearly, um, to me, is not new because it was there, but maybe it, it has um, obtained more visibility as a yeah. result of COVID. So people of sudden said, "Okay, I'm fine to say I'm not fine, and I'm and I'm fine to speak up because it's so tough. I just cannot keep it for myself." And as people started speaking up, then others. You know, in football, there's a lot of this macho alpha type of mentality where I'm fine, I'm okay, and you know, I'm this strong guy. Yeah, yeah. But we're all human beings here, you know, mm-hmm. and we all suffer equally. And it's not a question of money. So I think people have, have kind of spoken up more. We're keen to kind of support it more. Obviously, we need we need we need the funds to do that. Um, and we've got like important negotiation coming up with different stakeholders who fund us. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to to have a plan in place and try to see whether whether the people who need to actually pay for it, which are the clubs, yeah. you know, so the leagues, are, are, are happy for us as the PFA to be that channel of, you know, of, of, of support for the players, you know, as being those independent kind of advisors, no? Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I think it's very important that each of us has a different role mm-hmm. and we need to explain that very well to people. The PFA has never employed you. No. Never. And, and the membership fee that you pay to the PFA, this is symbolic. Because when you play 150 pounds a year mm-hmm. and you receive and you do the breakdown of what you receive, this is just symbolic. So the main source of income of the PFA is not the membership fee. Yeah. It is basically the money that we receive from other stakeholders, from the Premier League, from the EFL and from the FA, meaning the PFA is not generating money in itself. The mm-hmm. PFA relies on the people in the first place benefit from those guys to give us the money to take care of it. Yeah. And it's very important that you help us conveying that message because otherwise it leads to frustration because you've got the wrong expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they're barking up the wrong tree kind of thing. That, Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really important. I think people understand that breakdown because I think that is where a lot of frustration can come from people. Cause they say, Oh, well they lump a lot with the PFA. Like they should be doing this, that they pay for this. And they don't necessarily understand the breakdown of where that works or whose responsibility it, it is. Um, and people just tend to just say, oh, PFA, PFA, but they don't necessarily yeah, you're, know. You're almost, you're almost like the firefighters, but mm. actually 
what you guys are doing. You're you're there just to support the player. You're not you're not got you're not there to support agents. There's no back, you know. Exactly. You know, like, there's no sort of favors to anyone. There's you're not got an expiry date over someone's head. Of, well, you're not our first choice anymore, so we don't really need to care about you. You're 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 there whether somebody is a player currently at whatever level, or you're you're looking after someone in their sixties and seventies that used to play you know years ago you're mm. you're just there to support them yeah as a person. And, 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 and try to, to tell them the truth you know and, and say listen i've got this situation i you know what should i do what do you recommend me to do and, and we'll tell you the truth sometimes you'll be happy about the truth sometimes you, you won't be happy yeah but i think this is different between us and other stakeholders who have an interest because mm-hmm. the club have an interest agents have an interest the league has an interest everyone has an interest but we, we're here for you mm. We're here yeah. to tell you the truth. But again, you know, there, there is this narrative which only suits the interests of certain people. Focus on your football. Mm-hmm. No. And what you're saying is focus on me as a club making money, <laughs> which is different. I yeah. know. And, and what I'm saying to you is focus on you. On, this is yeah. your bank. It's your own yeah, life. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and we, we've yeah, spoken we. before to people about that whole, you know, planning for life after football. And it, mm-hmm. when you're in that height of an amazing career and you've got years ahead of you, you hope you've got years ahead of you, there's also research that shows that playing performance of a player who has a plan of action for life after football, they actually improve on the pitch because they're, they're, they're not worrying about who they're going to be or um, worrying about finances or anything like that. If, if you've got your sort of ducks in a row, as, so to speak, and you're already putting in motion those other things, your interests, passions, you become more, I'm sure it's a, I believe, I agree, it's, it's a, a positive thing for you as a player you know you're going on the pitch and you can focus on playing because you're taking care of other things yeah you know at your own the study was about like playing for um that it was like players are playing like smartly they're not playing desperately because they need that extra contract and they need that extra year like all they they are that's all that yeah it is that confidence of there's like more to this but then also being able to like it doesn't derive your focus um is yeah, that and and you're right. Like that time is is free time. You know, you can still play your video game and you know do an online course, but it's not going to take that much time. Or read a book that might get you interested in a different subject. So then, when you retire, you're like, oh, actually, I really like architecture. I could, and I'm, you know, I can maybe look into this more. No, you, you, you you're right. And the end is, if you played all on one card, if that card is lost or damaged, you're done. Yeah, now, exactly. You know, you know that you've got the, your main card and you, that's where you've got the, the main thing. But then let's have other alternative there, which gives you know, an opportunity to be more relaxed in case, you know, something happens. Because sometimes what players tend to forget that this is a game. Yeah. This, this, this is a game, you know, and, and you've got so, much ele- so many elements who do not depend on you that you may put all the interest and strength and willingness in trying to achieve a goal, but you may come across a manager which doesn't help. You may come across, you know, this unfortunate post who sometimes it's post and goes in or post go out. You have a guy called the ref who sometimes is in favor, sometimes he's not. You know, your your life depends on the game. Mm-hmm. You know, and you need to realize that, that the game has an element of, 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 of you know, of, of uncertainty, which is just part of it. So accept it. Have your plan B. Have your plan C. And 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 this means that you know, whenever the time comes, then you, you you're not kind of hanging on one card but mm-hmm. rather you have different alternatives available to you, you know? 
Yeah. And that helps with like depression that helps with addictions and things, because then you've, you're kind of a little bit more balanced at the end of it, instead of this kind of like outweighing, cause you know, you've played your card type of thing. So the, the, the difficulty, you know, um, Maggie is that when you stop playing, you need to reinvent yourself. And that's yeah. what people don't realize until this happens, you know, and, and we're, we're discussing before that in the end, you know, when you stop playing, what you all have in common is that you need to work. 99% because of the money, because, you know, from 35 to 85, you need to do something with, with, with the money to be able to kind of sustain the level of income that you have. And second, because of purpose, the 1% that needs to work because of purpose, because they need to be able to wake up in the morning and say to the partner or to the kids, this is what, that, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. This is the reason why I'm, I'm waking up in the morning. And, you know, what we have in common as footballers is that we're competitors. We like to compete. And all of a sudden, yeah, of, of course, it's fun to play golf for a couple of months or three. But after the third month, you want to compete against something or someone and you're missing it. And, and all of a sudden you're like, so now what am I doing? And this has nothing to do with the championship that you've played or the championship that you won or the number of games that you played. It's just everyone has known you as Helen, the footballer. Mm -hmm. Now, Helen, the footballer is gone. So now what are you? You know, yeah. what are you? What, what, what do you say to the, the family who says to you, oh, what are you, what are you on to? You cannot keep talking about the promotion you got at Wembley, you know, 10 years ago. This is gone. Yeah. You need to kind of be able to come up with something. Otherwise, you feel down yourself because like, so am I really of use? Yeah. What do I bring to the table? And this affects then your life at home because then you're miserable. You know, of course, mm -hmm. you got the money. Of course, you got the house or whatever. It's not about money or, or house. It's about coming back and having something to say to your partner, something to say to your kids. So it's, that's what people don't understand. The only thing that the status or the money solves it, it doesn't. No, and that can fall in any walk of life, can't it? It can be when a person retires after being in a job for years, you know, you, you step off that, you know, treadmill of, of, of life, so to speak, and, and you have to have a purpose, whether it's some sort of hobby or doing volunteering or something. And, and mum, you know, a mum, if she's yeah. been a full-time mum and, and her kids, her last child's finally gone to school. It's that whole having a purpose for yourself it's finding that new identity that keeps you from going insane i guess because actually we all need something a purpose to get up for we all need something to get up for in the morning and and everyone can relate to that can't they the, the problem the problem that you have helen is um football is such that it takes over your, your entire life yeah. and this happened to me when i stopped playing i realized i, I didn't have any hobby mm -hmm. I, I just didn't because I, I it never came to my mind the question of saying, what do I do on, on Saturday? It was a no-brainer before. And mm -hmm. the problem is that in football, you're so used to have a, such a scheduled, regulated life. Yeah. Th there's no space for you to think about, you know, other things than football. So ever since you were seven or eight, all the way to 36, your life was structured. You know what to do at eight, at seven, or at nine. Yeah. And all of a sudden, wow, weekends off. <laughs> this was amazing. I mean, what do I do? At I didn't have any plan. Mm, so yeah. I, I had no hobby beyond beyond football. It's it's it's, it's tough. Yeah, my it's husband. My, also, my husband know? was the same. Yeah, he. I remember we were driving from Leeds to, to Cambridge or something, and he was just like, "It's so surreal not being told where I've got to be. It's it's so surreal. It's the first time in my life that I don't have anywhere to be by like being told by anybody. Like I don't. I, I, there's no sort of um, expectation of you know. Oh, but, well, next week or tomorrow or something. And he could make his own choices and you know you can go to a pub whatever day of the week you fancied for a pint with a friend you know it was 
that stepping away from that whole um, structure that is been something that you've probably been within since I don't know what when did they leave home probably 15 mm-hmm. um, to, to become a footballer and, and that's that's almost like you you change as a, a full person I guess but um, it's, it's a it's, lot it's, isn't it? it it's uh, it's emancipation yeah, you, know, yeah. You, you become you become a and the problem also that you're facing is that in football at 35 you're the old guy in the dressing room yeah. the senior guy <laughs> because in, in real life you're a baby yeah. so the problem is that all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where although you were the old guy you were an old guy which was under some some sort of a of a su- constant supervision so you never really behaved as a full adult yeah. all of a sudden this stops from one day to the other over no schedule, nothing, no one tells you. You just need to kind of come up with all things. I mean, typically people retire, but at 65, mm. you get to retire at 35 and need to reinvent yourself for a period of time which will be longer than yeah. what you've actually experienced so far. Mm. So yeah. it's almost as this will be much more important to you in the bigger picture than yeah. the part where you played football. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so and that, hard that to impact the partner, doesn't it? Mm. That that whole thing, what we were talking about, impacts on the partner. So when a player is retired at whatever age that may be, he's then that that transition he's going through is being witnessed by his partner, who's going, "Well, do you have any answers for this?" And he's probably looking at her, going, "You know, I'm looking at you for comfort here." And then the whole thing, and that's why that whole retirement period is quite. Um, a tough one for the for the families but go, speaking yeah. a little bit more about that um we talk about how we all need stability in our lives and as you know <laughs> having been a footballer yourself um it's and the football is an unforgiving industry um and it's often at home where the players can piece themselves back together ready to go out and perform week in week out and we would say um the key to that is often found through the support of their wife or partner and having that whole stability at, at home in your opinion how big a part do you think the wives and partners play in the football world in the, in the whole game? To me, huge. Huge. And unfortunately, I think oftentimes underestimated, not understood properly. Um, sometimes just some of the comments you hear are just um, a lack of, uh, it's just ignorance, you know, it, either ignorance or lack of um, um Ability to recognize the reality, and so living in denial, no? Yeah. Um, because because I believe that in the end, the performance on the pitch is closely linked to what happens to you outside of the, of the pitch. So if you're stable, if your people are settled, if you have if you receive the right message when you come home, if, if the tone of what you hear is the right one, if it, it's just so important, it's just so important. And I saw it myself here as an executive. You turn up here, you've got so much thing going on outside of your home, you need to have this anchor at home, this kind of peace of mind, this stability, this, this um, consistent messaging. So who will be the key people around you when the bad moment comes? Sometimes it's not scoring, sometimes it's having a poor game, sometimes it's getting injured. So irrespective of status and level, it affects all of us equally across the game. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I think it is so important that on the one hand, the players make the right choice, but to me, and that's where I think organizations such as yours can play a key role, it's also about almost training or explaining to the spouses and, and, and partners what will you encounter? What type of situation will you be facing? What type of struggles 
or successes your husband or partner will go through. It's so important to have people like you guys who have gone through that, who have seen the ups and downs, and who can say to someone very early doors, this is what will happen. That's where the PFA and you can work together in, in us, making sure that the players understand how important it is to have the right anchor. Mm. You know, and, and I just visually see it. It's an anchor. It's, it's your anchor. It's, it's what keeps you kind of going in the right direction when, when things go well or don't, don't swear. It's not just when things go, go, go bad. It's also when things go well. No, calm down. Yeah. It's those, euphoric, <laughs> it's those euphoric highs and, the, and, the, and the, the crushing lows that is life in football. That's, that's that win-loss whole, mm. you know, that whole mentality. And the, the, you know, we know ourselves that a player, like a, a, the partner of a player, um, you're on that journey together, aren't you, through football? And, and a, the partner of a player will have probably made a hell of a lot of sacrifices herself to be able to go in support of his career. So you are, are, you are on that journey ultimately together and and you're the one that's picking up the pieces if you know one sometimes things go wrong and you know a that's that's love but that's also having an understanding of what the the career in football something so you know intense mm. as football can you know can be you know you've got to be there and it's that type of support that if you don't have an understanding partner that could really have a huge effect on a player with their performance on the pitch, you know, if you've not got that support at home. 100%, 100%. And, and it's important because, again, you know, people only sh talk about success stories. Mm -hmm. they, they don't tell what it takes to get there, you know. And I think it's important to have people like you who, who tell them the truth. This is what it is like to be a, the, the partner of, of, of a player. It's not easy. It's not just what you see there. Oh, you know, this is, this is just, this is a myth, you know. <laughs> this is a myth. And it's, and it's, important to to talk about the what ifs that's what we always try and and say like what if you get injured do you have x y and z what if what if your career ends you know like you said you know you went to one club thinking oh my god i'm going to be the next big star and then it, it doesn't always necessarily pan out that way so it's a lot of the time it's the partner of a player like be involved in talking about the future because it you know yourself it comes around so quick like you can your, your journey in football is so small in comparison to any other job that can go on for sort of 30, 40 years. And it's important for the couples to speak about life after football and, and, and be aware that a sudden, unplanned, unwanted exit from football is the worst kind. So if you have discussed, you know, will our mortgage be paid or um, will we be able to keep the kids in this particular school or is that life that we particularly would love to have? Is it sustainable? Or what would you like to do in, in your next career? Is there, a, is there a course you'd like to do? Is there something you're interested in, in other than football? You know, talk about that while things are good and mm -hmm. while things are, you know, in, you're, you're, you're in that sort of, I don't know if you can say that like a safety, but in, in football, because like you said, it's so unpredictable. But while you're in that midst of football, talk about the next thing because you are going to be in that 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 life your partner is and then and you're you know the family that you have you're going to be in that next phase of that player when they're no longer the star player the you know the person that every you know the product almost that the club is is you know benefiting from so talk about those you know the, the what ifs now so you are going in it with your eyes open and aware 
that's that's what we find is quite important to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, I think sometimes to me that the partner is also the link to, to the real life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in, in dressing room, it can be easy for you to be, to be gra- dragged into stuff which is not real, you know. Uh, and I think to me, what, what I found, you know, extraordinary with, with my wife was she was always kind of able to keep me in the real life and saying, okay, well, you know, calm down, you know, uh, don't get dragged into, because again, you know, football is a very much kind of, you know, macho alpha type of environment where, you know, oh, I've got a big car, I want to have a bigger, and, you know, and we used to go on vacation in Marbella, but now, you know, I'm a fancy guy, I need to go to Dubai, and yeah, this is all good, you know, but, but when you stop playing, the big house that you bought, you know, which was worth X, you need to, you need to, have man, you need to be able to maintain it. It's not, it's not the, the cost of the house, it's understanding that now you're making X, which whatever level you are is good as compared to other people, but when, when things stop, you go back to a normal salary and normal life, would you be able to face those maintenance costs of that car, of that of that house? Because otherwise, what you're gonna do is put an extra burden on your family, mm. on your wife, on your kids, to deal with the situation and on yourself. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, you know what is very tough sometimes is that you you, you are used to give to your family a certain standard of living, mm. and all of a sudden you realize that you will no longer be able to give to your wife and kids the type of things that they were used to. And for you as a, you know, as a person in your own ego, it's tough because you need to admit that, yeah, you know, we used to fly business and all of a sudden business is gone, you know, because when you have a, no- a normal salary, then you're going to be, be able to do that, you know, or certain stuff. So, so, so I think sometimes the part is also the one who needs to help you understanding that this is, this is a, a privileged life that you're having. It will only last for, for, for so long. Of course, enjoy it, but enjoying knowing that it's a privilege and it's not taken for granted. Yeah. It's not, this is not real life. Real life will come at 35 and real life will be from 35 to 85, <laughs> which is much longer yeah. than your career. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, yeah. Yeah, and you you can, get, you're in that football bubble and we've talked about this quite a lot because when you're in the football bubble, like, um, you know, everyone feels the same age, everyone's doing the same things, everyone's going on holiday at the same place and you, but your partner can help link you outside of the bubble because that you won't be in that bubble forever that bubble will burst and it's just how painful that is but it's so what you said about just thinking in the moment like this is a privileged lifestyle and enjoying it but knowing that there is going to be a difference when you're not making that money anymore is so and that's okay you haven't got that status because yeah a lot of the a lot of the pfa members as you know that they're not multi-millionaires you you, they've, they've got a good salary but it's 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 not they're not going to become a millionaire from it and but it's just not sometimes it's status as well isn't it it's not always down to money sometimes it's you're you're absolutely right yeah if if you're if you played in the conference your whole career or or division two or something you're you ask that you feel like you're 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 doing that childhood dream and then when you haven't got that you know that's Mm. a huge identity hit isn't it you know so that alone the, the wife and partner of a player you ha- you're not just thinking about we're going to lose the material <coughs> things which yeah they're important but they're not everything it's more that that you don't want to a lot of the time a player hasn't even shown their own mental health weakness almost because they haven't been put in that position where they've got to panic about paying a mortgage or panic about um you know what, what their purpose is in life and and that can sometimes you you can see a difference when a lot of the time when players retire they show a different side of their character that they maybe have been putting a wall up 
while they're a player because you hide behind this facade of, of I'm the player, I, I'm handling everything. But then all of a sudden that facade goes and, and you're vulnerable. And that, that can really, you know, be a lot of, you know, can, a lot of marriages can struggle through that. That, that's that, that, that's a good point. I think there are stats saying I think that seventy percent of the players when they stop playing end up divorced. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's this is linked to all the thing that you said. You know, sometimes when you play for Wrexham, you you're a star. So yeah. in in your city, you're a star. With your family, you're a star. It's not a question of money. It's just that you 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 you're known. You know, and all of a sudden mm. you're no longer known, and there's a big you know ego element also in it of saying it's just tough to admit that this is gone you know it's tough to admit that all of a sudden you're vulnerable it's it, it's tough and that really leads into our last sort of question we wanted to ask you um why do you think it's so important that the pfa work with us lifestyle club <laughs> well i think we've been given a lot of of reasons for for <laughs> for the pfa to, to to be with you um um to, to be and I was saying to you offline, I think, I don't think that we hold the truth. Um, I think that since we're here to serve the players and to be player-centric, I think we want to hear from the people who are the closest to the player, but the real players, not whatever they want to convey to the world sometime on Saturday, on Sunday, but rather who the real person is. And I think, and I hope that, that you know, with your help, we can maybe kind of serve the players better, understand them better, provide them a support which is more tailored to what they actually need uh, and not what they project that they are, but rather what they actually are, you know? And, and I think that's where we can really kind of hopefully um, do that together. I think, um, I think for us, it's important to acknowledge the role of, 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 of the people. As I said again, I, and I want to kind of stress that word to me is the anchor. And I think you, you represent the anchor, which a lot of time I think is just underestimated, underrated, and, and this needs to change. Um, and, and hopefully you can you can who can help you helping us and vice versa no um so yeah i think that's exciting oh thank you so this is i mean we could talk to you for ages but this has been lovely and we're so honored that you've come on our podcast so thank you so much for your time today thank you for the invitation i appreciate it thank you very much <laughs>